In our 20s, there are lots of adulting questions and crises that we come across on a daily basis. It means you're constantly looking for new opportunities, taking care of your mental health and life balance. means you're questioning things like, do I really enjoy being an adult? Does it matter where I live? Am I happy? Is money that important? I'm Bao. I'm Mai. And in this new season, we'll share our thoughts and experiences through our journey to our late 20s. More special guests, more deep conversations. Welcome to the M22 Podcast Season 2. Hello, 20s fam. Welcome back to this podcast. And today we have a really, really special guest in our studio with us, our program director for the Global Entertainment and Music Business Program here at Berkeley Valencia. We've been with him the past year and we're so excited to have him in our studio after we just graduated from Berkeley to talk about, you know, his career as well as what life is after Berkeley and what are the different career paths and things that us as industry professionals know we can do. So, Emilian, thank you for being here with us in the studio. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Thank you both for having me. Hello, everyone. My name is Emilien Moyon. Uh, I come from France originally, and I'm the, I work at Berkeley in Valencia. I'm the director of the Global Entertainment and Music Business graduate program. Uh, and uh, I've been holding this position for over a decade. Uh, I started initially uh, our dear record label, Disruption Records, mm -hmm. at the, many years ago. Uh, I founded uh, TEDx Berkeley Valencia as well, uh, Mosaico Festival uh, that was running for a few years pre-pandemic. Um, my background is in uh, entrepreneurship and strategy, and, uh, and I have a deep interest in music. Great. So thank you for being with us today. Let's start a little bit like in a timeline. You talked about your entrepreneurship background. So can you tell us about how you got there and what were your interests in that time when you started? Many years ago, I, f I graduated from uh, my first master in business. And uh, maybe unlike you, maybe you're in a, you, 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 you can't wait to go and get a job and get outside of, the, of, the, of school. But uh, I was, I kind of always liked the academic environment. And I was looking at my friends in the same program and I was like, you all want to leave. You can't mm -hmm. uh, wait to get out of university. I think it's a, it's a cool environment when you are given the opportunity to uh, keep learning and, and uh, to, think about, to think about kind of like the future of the industry, the future of the business. And that's when I started to think about doing a PhD, to staying at uh, school to do a PhD. And I do have a passion for business, for innovation, and the intersection, one of the intersections between business and innovation is entrepreneurship, creating of new, uh, new venture, new opportunities in business. And that's what I, where I choose to focus on for my, for my PhD. That was back in 2007, so a while back. And, uh, and at that time, in France, there was loads of conversation and lobbying happening to define what would be the regulation for distributing and selling music online. Record sales were going down, record labels were, major labels especially were in a, uh, wondering what the future of their business model. And I was like, well, if I want to study innovation and entrepreneurship, I get this unique opportunity to connect with my passion of music and, and help this industry to understand what's going on. And, uh, that was kind of like a full circle moment for me because mm. business was my work passion. 
I've always wanted to work in some capacity in relation to music and I get a chance to spend the next five years of my life doing a PhD but also looking at yeah. the music industry which was going through a very massive change very rapidly. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm curious since you, you know, you're a big part of the entrepreneurship practicum and you have a huge passion for this every year when you, um, you know, you're observing students in the entrepreneurship practicum or just people applying to the program and you're hearing all these new ideas about businesses and innovation. How do you know that one, like, how do you know which advice to give them? And also two, how do you in your head, I'm sure like you can identify, okay, this is idea that's good. This is idea that needs more work or, you know, this is an idea that won't really work. Like, how do you identify those ideas or those kind of um, feedbacks for people? And how do you, you know, find a way to tell them about what you're thinking? Because I feel like when I'm coming up with an idea for a business, it's like my baby. And then to give it to you and then receive feedback, it's also a very important and crucial moment. But it's an important one. So how do you kind of, you know, decide or with your experience, figure that out and tell people your, your opinions and help them with what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, it is an opinion. It's my, my sensibility, my understanding of the current state of the industry and the need that, that consumers, business people, artists, most importantly, have. That makes me have a different opinion about how good of a new business idea can be and what their potential is. The truth is, I never know. I don't, yeah. I don't own the truth on what's going to work and what's not. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, and I, I remember a colleague of mine in, uh, who was working in uh, Harvard, who was teaching the same class in Harvard, was telling me the same thing. He had amazing startup that uh, were developed in his class. And, you know, we have an opinion and sensitivity, but the surprise that we have sometimes a project that seems amazing is not going to work. Maybe it's not the, because the idea is not good, but maybe the execution is not yeah. exactly what, uh, what it should have been. Sometimes there are some ideas that we think may not have a really good potential and students prove us to be wrong. You know? so, so we don't know. Which, what you said it perfectly, we're trying to, uh, to provide the recommendations, support, advice mm-hmm. to help students in their journey. What's more important than an idea is actually the, the, the team themselves mm. you know like uh, your your project for example what what is remarkable about it is the, the energy that you're putting into it your motivation to 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 develop and at the end you know the 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 current business plan that you've developed or the business model can be good can be perfectible at the end you know if the person has the right motivation and the right idea and the right commitment to their project uh they will find a way to make it work and uh, and for me that's the most important is having having people who have the right mindset i always say you know we the world doesn't really need lots of new companies running around we need good companies who are solving real problems we don't need companies that are solving problems that don't really exist uh so it's really what it's all about the entrepreneurship class is trying to point students in direction where our experience in the music industry we know this problem need to be solved and there's going to be a a uh, critical mass of artists, of consumers who would be responding positively to this new business and make it work and make it sustainable rather than solving not a real problem. I always use the example of, uh, oh, let's create a new app to discover music. This is not a problem. Nobody's right now sitting in their room wishing there's a new app to develop new music. We have tons of ways to do that. So, 
entrepreneurship it's not about the main thing is not about the idea the main thing are the people and 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 the problem they're trying to solve yeah um just to give a little context because emilian was my advisor for my ce which was a business plan what it was like really interesting for me because we we actually saw in the practicum that there were similar projects or similar problem to solve but i guess the more important thing was seeing how we are going to reinvent ourselves like through the process not to have the same company a thousand times in around the world but how everyone's going to differentiate from others so i think like it's it's a really interesting topic to talking about like the team you have the expertise you have on your team and how you're going to reinvent yourself because once someone does something new or innovative and someone else wants to replicate it then it's time for you to reinvent and just keep moving forward so i think that is one of the main challenges we face on in every industry but now like just merging the the fact of like that we were working on entrepreneurship and also music i'm curious to know how did you decided that you wanted to stay in the music industry somehow because you know being an entrepreneur is a, a really wide um you can have like many you can decide many paths but you decided to be actually here and be involved with music students so when did you realize that's what you wanted to pursue i'm going to share a story from my previous job i used to work in a business school and that's a story i like to use to to really explain what is important for me in working here and working in this context So I I used to work in a uh, in a in a business school so I used to run a, a program similar to this one but not contextualized to music I had students who aimed to work in bank or in retailing or technology company I mean there was no uh, not a specific focus on any industry and uh, after class break I invited every students to go back to the room and I did a small exercise with them I asked them to take a small piece of paper and to write down their dream job gave them a few minutes to think about it and say okay if you could do any job what would that be they all write it down and then i asked them to think what is a realistic salary they could be paid to do that job like yeah. they may not be an exact number but in their opinion if they would do that job how much a year would they be making and then i asked them let's say that think about a job you really wouldn't want to do like let's say i don't know uh, being an accountant I mean I have nothing about the job of accountant or or there's people who love this job and it's a very necessary job but I knew in this class that that was not where they're going uh, to do after and I said look you're getting a job offer to be an accountant that's paying you 25% more than the number you have on your piece of paper would you accept it and I realized that in that room at that moment the majority of the students who are sitting would accept 25% more money to do a job they don't like rather than taking their dream job. And that was a bit of a of a not disappointed, but like I was a bit deflated after doing this exercise by saying like my gosh I have I was very young at that time I was probably the same age as my students and I felt like money was the main driver for for these people. I don't say it's generalization for business school, but for these students I in front of me money was the main driver and for me that has money is important of course, but that never been the main driver and I didn't feel like what i was seeing really connected with me what i love about berkeley and what i what i love about working with students who are about to work in music there's no way you any of you have made that choice to be rich if your main driver is money if the, if you want to be make as much money as quick as possible there's no way you choose to work in the music industry if you've chose to work in the music industry is for something else mm-hmm. is because you want to work with creative people is because you're of your passion for your music 
is because you want to wake up every day doing something that you enjoy or you like. And that's the kind of people I want to work with. I'm more interested to work with them and to work with people whose money is their primary driver. I mean, you talked about like them writing their dream job when they grew up. What was your dream job when you grew up? And you know, how was your family impactful or in this the kind of mindset? And、um, in your upbringing, what did they really emphasize when you know raising you? It's so funny you ask because my dream job is actually would have been to exactly work right here、really? in this recording studio. So I, I, both my parents are math teachers.、Uh, they never pressure me in any way to become a math teacher. So,、uh, but yeah, I, I started working in relation to music when I was thirteen. I'm not a musician. But when I was 13, I got my first gig being a DJ in a radio station. It was a university radio station. So you see the、yeah. life how it does it kind of this crazy connection, you know? Like could have worked in any、uh, mm-hmm. radio station, but no, it was in the context of a university. And、uh, all the all the other people working there were in the mid twenties, thirties, forties. And so I was 13 years old. I was a kid going there and playing music and going every Wednesday afternoon because、mm-hmm. I couldn't be there. DJing at night because、yeah. I was too young, and that's where I started to enjoy this environment: being in the studio, being speaking in a mic, playing music, curating music, having my own choice of, of music that I would be presenting. At that time, where I when I finished high school, when I wanted wanted to find out what was the next step for me,、uh, I went to see the kind of like advisors, you、yeah. know, career advisors, and and the, the first question they asked me is, "Are you a musician?" <laughs> and because I wasn't, they、so、were like, "Well, you're, if you want to work in music and you're not a musician, there are not so many things you can do." And the only thing they told me is, "Well, like, well, you can, you can,、um, can study math and physics in order to integrate a music engineering、uh, school in Paris after that." Like I, acoustics related, or just like music, in general sound yeah, engineering? Yeah, sound engineering. Yeah,、mm-hmm. and、uh, I like the idea of sound engineering, of course. But I didn't like the idea of spending the next two years of my life in math and physics. Oh, you tell me, <laughs> I did that. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, not not that nice, honestly. Like you didn't do it then. I did it, did but it? I was a terrible student. I, <laughs> I I I failed miserably my first two years of school. My parents, <laughs> my parents who are math teacher, were getting depressed with me, and they didn't know what、oh. they didn't know what to do with me. So that was kind of my moment of uh, of. Uh, Of not glory, of <laughs> kind of, and at that point, I, you know, I was like, "There's, I cannot do it. There's,、yeah. there's no way I can get to music." And luckily, at that time, when it didn't work out for me in math, my mom recommended me to go into business, and、uh, and I did, and I started to, from being a bad student, just changing the topic I was studying, I became a very good student、mm-hmm. of pretty much overnight. I, That was pretty much a shock for me because after two years of having the worst grade of the class, all of a sudden things were easy and things were enjoyable. And by magic, enjoying what I was studying turned into amazing grade. And so, basically,、uh, after one year, I got kind of scouted from uh, uh, to for, to go to a better school, a, a, a better a better program in business, and enjoyed it very much. And And then the the story I told you when I was、mm-hmm. finally had my master, I、yeah. I kind of wanted a little bit more, and that's when I did the PhD. But、uh, I like to think about this story because, especially when I think about how we can help students in their journey in their life, is we all go through stages where we have no idea what we want to do, 
uh, we always face people at some point who will tell us it, it is impossible. You're never going to do it. There's no way you can do it. And uh, either you fight for it, which is not what I did. I, got, I kind of let serendipity work for me, uh, yeah. but that's also a good <laughs> strategy. You find a way to make it work for you. And uh, yeah, I think it's probably going to happen mm -hmm. to all of you. You know, it's, yeah. uh, you're, you're, you're already in a good place. You, you're graduating from this program and you have lots of connection and you're very smart and talented people. But still, you know, there's going to be good days and bad days. You're going to meet people who tell you you can never do that. And <laughs> you're going to have to figure it out. And I'm sure you will make it happen. This is like a very interesting like way to approach the sound engineering and how you get into business because I follow exactly the same path and I remember like when I was in my undergrad around the fourth fifth semester everyone was having like this questioning of like I'm not good in physics I'm not good in math like maybe I shouldn't get to study this once they pass all these topics they were all happy but you know I think nowadays like it is like an the easiest way in some countries to get into the industry and then realizing maybe the engineering side was not for you Because it's all of, I think the, the line of thinking or the line of thought is more in a square. But when you're creative, you, you can't fit in that square. You need to like get, try and get out of it. So I, I think like the, the mix of you switching into the business vibes a lot with your personality and not as a square like person. You know, I think people are very logic, but us that are in this industry, we tend to be a little more disruptive or more like creative. So keeping us like in a small square is not like... It's not going to work out somehow. But yeah, I think part of the questionings of being in this industry, as also you mentioned about questioning if you wanted to follow your passion or if you want to, as men, like also thought in the, in the past of like, I need to sustain a family. So I need to go also through something that gives me more money. Nowadays, we also think about if we don't buy with a job, we might just quit, which is also a different mentality about that too. So in terms of pursuing our um, masters here and stuff, I'm curious to know, and we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but just for people, because I know a lot of listeners are in the same industry and in undergrad or trying to pursue also a program in the future around here. What do you see in students before you actually accept them or put them in the next phase of the admission process? First of all, that's, uh, you've both been in the program and you know it's a, it's a small program. So I pay a lot of attention to who are recruited here, who are coming in the program. and. Um, And you know, because you've, you, you know, you've met yeah. all the other <laughs> students who are in. I'm looking for talent. Uh, and I'm not looking, you know, like exactly to what you say. I'm not looking in talent in a square way. I'm not looking for clones, everybody who has the same talent who come together mm -hmm. and spend a year in the program. Because that wouldn't be the best way to, to get something out of it. But I'm looking for people who have uh, different talent. Some people might be really good in math. Some people might be really good at uh, creating music. Some people might be amazing uh, people person, mm -hmm. uh, connectors. You know, you can think about some of the students yeah. this year who, who kind of had that role. But bringing really uh, talents in all form and shapes and all this individual personality will come in the program will also come with things that they're not good at. I'm hoping that that's where they, people understand the role of uh, playing as a team when you are using your strengths yeah. for the rest of the team and you on the thing that you're not good at you you learn how to ask people for help and how to collaborate and find those complementarities between different forms of talents 
And that leads to my second aspect, which is I'm also during the, the process trying to see the, the, the quality of the people as kind of like a personal uh, personality trait, you know, like, are they good people? Are they, are they people who care about other people? Are they going to have this collaborative spirit when they get in the program? This is a mix of uh, uh, hard skill and soft skill we try to test. To, because especially in music, I think those, those people's skills are, are, are fundamental. There's a lot of things happening in the interaction, in the networking, in, the, in those place of yeah. improvisation, yeah. during meeting conferences, work events, where a lot of people in the music industry love those kind of like celebration, kind of like informal moments in which is part of the job in music. The, you were mentioning earlier about your experience at the weekend concert yeah. where you interacted with people who could, you know, professionals who mm -hmm. could potentially become your boss, your colleagues, your employee in the future. And that always happened in a context of fun and entertainment. And that's why you need people with a certain personality who do well in those situations. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, um, having people who are both good in the business and in the creative is what I'm looking for. So. Uh, having a, the both, both side of the brain well-equipped is what we try to achieve in the program, even though I think, the, I don't know if it's from a biological standpoint, the both side of the brain is a reality, but, but understanding those complementarity, people being good in the business and still being good in the studio with the artist, uh, if you manage artists or if you work with uh, any artist in some capacity, having the empathy and sensitivity to, uh, to, uh, to speak their language, to understand their need. But still, you know, when you go back in front of your computer and prepare a budget or, or prepare a marketing campaign, having those, uh, those, uh, those business uh, skills and, and talents that uh, mm -hmm. will make you uh, stand out as a professional. Yeah, I remember in one of the classes when, when we made this question to you, you also mentioned that it is important that people are good listeners. And that like resonated a lot um, that I remember it. <laughs> you literally said it. I just look for people that are good listeners too. And I guess... Well, what I thought when you said that it was actually that our generation wants things like so fast that we're always rushing and sometimes we are, but we're not present. So what, what, what is your opinion in terms of, of that, like our generation and how we have been developing and people growing always on the screens and stuff like that, that it's mm. kind of, we listen like in a different way. I, I, that's what, what I thought like. Oh, I, n I yeah. never thought your generation was less good of a listener than ours. I, I don't think it, I never thought about it as a generational. Yeah. yeah. I feel I'm. I feel like my generation is really bad at listening too. You know, <laughs> like we may less in front of a screen. I mean, and maybe not. But uh, but I think it's more like a human trait. And you're right. Thank you for for pointing it out. But that's something that for me it's a huge turn off. Somebody who does not listen and who who has not even in an interview. I I, I understand it's a moment that can be stressful and where people have a short amount of time to give, a, to give a good impression. So the temptation when you're being interviewed is to throw a lot of information and mm -hmm. talk and talk and talk. And I think it's, it's one of those, for me, huh, when I'm an interviewer, interviewer uh, this is a huge turnoff is, to, is, is, is not having somebody who's not capable of listening. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, so, so if you're listening to this podcast and considering <laughs> applying to a job or to this program or whatever, you know, like making sure that you... Not only you leave space for the person in front of you to express themselves, yeah. number one. And number two, I always ask a candidate if they have any question. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, like having question ready and something to ask, show curiosity, but also show your capacity to put yourself in a listening uh, mode for, for a moment during your interview. Yeah, there is one thing that I remember a lot about my interview and I, and I always bring this up, so I will share it. I think you just saw like my paper of grades of my undergrad and just immediately realized that I was really low on like account, accountant, like count. Yeah, like, you know, like finance. And you ask, how are you going to deal with finance? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. But I guess I, I told you, I guess it's also part of the how the professor teaches and, and everything. I didn't know about Alex and how he would teach the class. But you were like, oh, yeah, we have a really nice professor. And I was like, well, then. I'll manage, to, I'll manage, like I promise I'll manage. Can you tell you us know? which grade you got in accounting? Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I got a B plus though. I'm not very proud about that, but I'm proud that I, I balanced my, my stuff for my business plan. So I realized that I did, I did you learn, did really you know. Well. You did yeah. really well indeed. You can be proud of it. <laughs> yeah, <course>. yeah. <laughs> but it was just very funny because you were mentioning about like what are our like strengths and, and how you pay attention to what we can work on if we're not good at something. So yeah, that was like my, my thing that I was like afraid of, like at the beginning, because I, I always remember like, oh, he asked me about this, so I should try to do better, you know, and stuff. So it's, it is very funny that you actually pay attention to these details, because, you know, sometimes on interviews or job interviews and stuff, I don't think people actually take that much time, in my experience, to check your background and to, and to actually point something like as specific as you did. And I think that is very important because it also, like in, in my case, it had an impact. I was like, okay, I need to do good this time, you know, and I did. But like, it's just nice to also put that um, like a small seed on a student or on, a, on, how do you say, like, yeah, on a profile and then see how they actually develop on, on the year. So that is also something that I, I really appreciated about. You can tell your listeners that you did really well. Yay! <laughs> but I feel like at the end of the day, you don't need to be good at everything. I know we're all perfectionists and we want to be good but in in the real life setting we're creating a team so it's about mastering some skills and finding people who are just good at that and working together like you said collaboration and all of these things i do want to switch gears a little bit though because i as we were talking something came to my mind and it brought back my application and i talked a little bit about you know being in music and being arts is a bit of a privilege sometimes And I, and I wanted to talk about the idea of access to education and access to these incredible experiences and also highlight that there are still parts of the world that don't have access to this, you know, incredible opportunities. They haven't heard some of the best music that you think there is out there because, you know, that's just how life is. So what, what are your thoughts on, you know, how can we as, you know, the new generation and even just in general people bring music bring art to parts of the world that don't have it and how do you is it important to do that and why is it important to do it well i think i think it is important just because music is everywhere what's not everywhere are resources to develop as an artist and to 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 support and bring this music outside of the territory where it's being played or or, or created um and you're right you know it is Working in the arts is a privileged thing, and you do uh, have in many parts of the world people who consider that it's not a career or it's not a priority, or governments who are not investing in the arts. Uh, but uh, you know, I think the art is, as we talk a lot about AI, mm -hmm. the art is one of the last thing that define what humanity is. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, and so it, you know, like. 
talking about globalization of music, the fact that people listen more and more to music, even they, though they don't understand the, the language, and they are willing to listen to artists that are on the other side of the world and still connect with them on a cultural level, even though they have never visited that country or that territory, just show that the amount of opportunity you have in connecting people, in, uh, in uh, create empathy for people who are living in a country where they have access of tons of resources to people who don't have this kind of privilege on a daily basis. So uh, created, cre creating access to knowledge is something we can all think about. And, uh, you know, uh, money is one thing, but knowledge is a different one. And providing, you know, like workshop online, educational thing that can empower people uh, to help their community of creators or artists is something that we, you know, and I'm, I always have a, sp a special uh, interest when people reach out to me and say, look, we don't, have a, we don't have a lot of resources, but we would really like to offer workshop or educational modules online to uh, artists or to professionals who usually don't have access to that. For me, for me, it's very special, you know, because I know that if you don't do that, well, the, you, you know, those people may not never have access to anything and you need to start somewhere. And going back to my own uh, story, what I was telling you earlier, what you don't, you know, telling people they can't or people, there's no way, you know, mm -hmm. that this, this is how you can break those opportunities. And, you, you know, just saying yes to somebody or mm -hmm. offering something to can be life changing and can change the career of many people. I mean, look at the example of uh, what NADA is uh, organizing in Saudi Arabia, for example. What I loved about it is the opportunity to meet and bring resources to a lot of people who have never had access to, to, to this information and would want to have something to do mm. in relation to music. And I, I, for me, this is super, super interesting. Yeah, I think there are like so many more music markets that, you know, need support and um, more music to discover. And I think through the program this year, I was able to discover like a lot about the MENA region, but even deeper about the markets that I already know about, like US, UK, and the history behind it. So I think the way that this program is built, although there are, you know, things that could be improved and every year there's a different sets of challenges with different batch and cohorts, I think coming here is a great decision for me in many ways for me to do a career switch, to meet people, but also to feel the passion. And personally, I, I have a lot of passion for what I do, but when I was growing up, I didn't really see people with like a vision of how to change it. They just want to do music and, you know, like ha do it for fun. But I think being here surrounded by people and you can see and feel the passion that they have for the industry every day. And they're trying their best to change it with new ideas, with small scale projects, large scale projects, national projects, whatever it may be. I think it's, you know, being here was a really good decision. So I'm, really grateful for the opportunity and even to be here talking with you after the end of this whole journey yeah happy you were both here <laughs> <laughs> yeah we ended up doing like with the same my and i we were talking about like in the past seasons and episodes how we like are on a similar like job like seeking but also passions and like how we created the podcast and, and everything that we we've been combining and how we're building also our network and this actually leads me to the next topic which is like you know we're in a business environment that is full of passion but also com competitiveness and also like everyone wants to create their own network and like establish close contacts and stuff to see what are the next steps on our careers 
how do you actually uh, build your network and what is your main approach in terms of seeing that the environment also as business people is a little competitive around? I mean, it's, it's my approach to it and it may not work for everybody. Um, you've, I, I've used this example maybe in class, but you know the, the saying, it's not personal, it's business. I think this is absolute bullshit. You know, I, I think there's not, I mean, maybe some people manage to really separate both, but I, I do find that, you know, like when you create connection, you, unless you're very schizophrenic, you cannot completely separate the personal to the business, you know, and uh, I've made a lot of friends in this industry and a lot of people. And well, of course, this strong connection that I've built with them makes you want to work more with those people. And that will be a more solid foundation when you develop a project or when you work on something with them. So my strategy has always been, you know, being the same person I am when I'm at work and when I'm not and, and uh, be available uh, and having the same uh, honest commitment to my relationship at work that I would do with a friend outside. So that's kind of my, my philosophy to it. And, and then I think, you know, when you say everybody try to build their own network, at the end, we work in an international industry yeah. where everybody's connected. There's no walls behind this community. There might be some separation, like country to country, or maybe uh, people working in live. Uh, you know, maybe it could be considered as a community versus people who, from labels yeah. or managers, etc. But there, there are some connections and bridges between those, and uh, it's really important with your work ethics. You know, never to, uh, never to really. Um, burn a connection you know because you have a disagreement or maybe uh, you know always treat people with respect and kindness and uh, and uh, you know when as much as i can when i receive an email i may not answer quick but i always provide an answer uh, that is uh, respectful i can say no to people but still uh, treat them with uh, <laughs> with full full respect uh, and i think that's something to keep in mind you know having a for every relation, every connection, everybody uh, who reach out, even if you don't have time to keep, remain professional and ethical. And what is then your perspective about like how the industry is a little more competitive, especially if we're all coming from different backgrounds and stuff. And we're all like, for example, we just graduated and we're all looking for jobs right now, you know. So what, what is your recommendations or your approach in terms of like this, this topic, especially because we are all sometimes under pressure and like, I think I vibe a lot with what you said about being really personal and being really friendly and, and there's not like a line that divides like both sides of being building a network professionally but also as friendships and just personal connections. So what would you recommend to like people that are in our stage right now? Because whether it's a master's, whether it's an undergrad, we are look, we're all arrived to the stage of job seeking and we know that a lot of us also apply to the same jobs and stuff. How do you recommend us to maintain this ambience? and lower down the feeling or the pressure of the competitiveness like around the world in our industry are you talking about how to stand out not necessarily but also like the point of view that we should keep for us not to feel more pressure about it you know what i mean well i think something i've told uh, you all at the beginning of the year is yeah. that in the perspective of this program I really don't think there is any competition. You know, like you, you're all coming from so many different places, have very yeah. different goals that internally you, there's no competition. Of course, when you're going to apply for jobs, there's going to be a competition. I think it always helps 
to try to put yourself in, you know, like it helps when you apply for a job, but it also helps to feel better about competition, to keep in mind, to try to put yourself in the shoes of the recruiter. I know it's an anxiety step, it's stressful, it, you don't know what's going to happen, you feel powerless because you don't make the decision, you don't really understand what's going on, but it is also stressful, difficult, and all of that for the employer side. Yeah. Because if you hire the wrong person, they, especially in, your, in a small team, that can have like super negative implication, you know, like a, um, a fail, a missed recruitment, hiring the wrong person has implication at many levels. It can be costly, can be uh, disruptive, can have a toxic effect on the rest of your team, etc., yeah. etc. Et so creating this empathy and trying to understand like who are they looking for, what, what position might they be in, what can I bring them to make them feel better about their decision about hiring me. And that goes back to people want to work with cool people. <laughs> you know, like, uh, like uh, of course, I told you all year round, you know, like they're going to look at learn about data analytics because it's going to make you stand out or work on your experience and have this and have that. But at the end of the day, you know, you want to feel good about the person that you're hiring. You too and all of the students in the program, you know, they have this really good combination of personality and confidence and, and um, like I said earlier, capacity to work with other people and which I cannot tell you is going to work in the next week or in the next yeah. months, but it's going to work eventually. What uh, you can only, you know, it's a Buddhist way of looking at it. You cannot worry about the past. You cannot worry about the future. You can only worry about the moment. And you can only worry about things that you have control of. If you worry about the decision that the HR manager or uh, an executive person in a label is going to make towards your application, it's a waste of time. All you can worry about is your energy, what what you're doing at the present moment. And, uh, you know, I do feel like if you do find this commitment to remain in the present and, and, and have a reflective way of thinking what's working, what's not working, how can I put myself in the shoes of the person looking for the job, you can feel really good about yourself because you're doing everything you can to make it work. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, that was not your fault. That was not your responsibility. <laughs> Nice. I think that's pretty calming for all of us right now that we're on the same stage. Especially because I've been reading, you know, like a lot of comments on social media that say like, I've been applying for jobs for six months in the music industry and I haven't got anything. I probably don't feel like maybe I made the good decision of like going into this industry, you know, like, and I was really impressed about that yesterday because I was like, we all grow to the same stage, whether it's, I don't know, software engineering, whether it's data whatever area i think we all go through that process and it's all about it takes time to all people in different levels like different timings and it all ends up working out i think can i say something about it i i, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine many years ago who told me that after uh college he sent a hundred application for jobs and didn't get any interview 100 application no interview mm -hmm. That was not in music. That was not in music even. And, uh, and he told me how oh, oh, like depressed he was about the situation or difficult it was for him. Or, you know, he, 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 he went through that situation uh, in a very difficult way. And, uh, and what was interesting is that I asked him saying like, I asked him your 100 applications, the last application you stand in this pool of 100, 
was your process and your materials was it exactly the same as your first one and he said yes like mm -hmm. i had a template for my resume and a mm -hmm. cover letter and and i was like i i didn't tell him that because i didn't want to, to make him feel worse about that situation but i was like this is not what you want to do when you do something a hundred times the same time same way and you expect different outcome you know what people say about it there is no different outcome <laughs> That's the definition of being stupid. Uh, <laughs> if you keep doing things expecting a different outcome, is you're stupid. And uh, and uh, and of course, I didn't want to tell him guy, and he's not stupid at all. But you know, I, this is where being reflective and empathetic is re is key, because there are many ways you can apply to a job. Many approach you can do. You can go on LinkedIn every day, spend five hours on LinkedIn every day, send the same cover letter. Maybe there's something that does not connect with people and you need to take it as an experiment send five applications do it a certain way if you don't get an interview out of five or out of ten like a small amount well try something else try doing something different try to reach out to somebody in the team and talk to them before you send your application if it doesn't work try something else try to tweak it try to get feedback from your employer when when they don't answer to you and when you get a, an answer it's always an opportunity to say can you please give me feedback on your application and why I wasn't selected to the next round? And probably they won't share with you. But if they do share something with you, like, oh, we're looking for more experience or we're looking for this or we're looking for that, that slowly puts you in the right direction of how to improve your profile. It's, it's like a professional branding as a job application. Yeah. If you don't sell yourself well, if you, maybe you have no idea, but there's maybe your LinkedIn story and your resume lack consistency. They look like two different people and that scare off uh, employers. Yeah. Or maybe you had two or three gap years where, and you don't realize, but people are wondering what you did during those three years. And maybe yeah. this is something you can do to polish it and to make, to, to make it part of your storytelling. So I understand it's competitive. It's, it's difficult. I'm not saying it's easy, but I would say like be, be reflective. Don't keep doing the same thing. Ask for feedback. And also, you know, like people have diff different... Uh, Dif things happen in different time you know I, I look at the 11 years i spent here and the students who graduated there's some people who have received really cool job right away after graduation and there's some people for whom it took a little bit longer and i've remember i've had many conversations with my students who graduated and three months after they were sitting on their parents couch going back <laughs> after one year in valencia and being like what have i done i'm never gonna do it and then i they receive a phone call or an email a month or two later and tell me, okay, I finally get that job and everything works well. And from that, they are building a career and there might be some of the alumni that I invite to speak and you might be thinking like, oh, they've done everything perfectly. But no, it's part of the process, you know, yeah. doubt and difficulty and rejection, which we all hate. We all hate to be rejected since we were kids at the kindergarten <laughs> when uh, nobody wanted to play with us. It's part of life and your capacity to go through it is, is super important. I'm curious, like now you're in, you know, a leadership position. Who are some of the people that, you know, you look up to for inspiration when you're leading your team and also, you know, being you know, the face of the program and, you know, the figure that your students look up to every year? Like, who do you look up to then in that case for inspiration and learn from their leadership style so that you can transmit that? to the people that you're working with? Good question. I don't necessarily look up to, I mean, I don't know, because you say you're in a position of leadership and you look up to, they are not necessarily the people who are in a higher hierarch hierarchical position. 
But you know, like you, you, you both know uh, Alex Samperin, who was teaching the program. He's a, an amazing colleague, but he's also somebody that I look up to because I love his passion for teaching. I love the way he do his job, and I love the kind of professional that he is. I find my inspiration not necessarily for people who have more leadership or in higher position, but from people who just have good values in their job. I, I always have good respect for people who have clear, consistent uh, work-life balance, because I know, and you probably know already how difficult it is, yeah. especially then when you have a family, you know, like finding, finding the balance between, between all those sectors of your life for you to be in a good place mentally. More than success and, and, and more than people who get great job titles, I'm very inspired by people who manage the different roles of their life smoothly. Yeah, I think you, you have like an example on a daily basis too with the people you have around and that is a little bit more easy to understand on a daily basis than just like reading about someone or like just seeing someone that is on a bigger position that is like on a different, I don't know, on a different context. So it's, it's more complex to actually understand how, how does the mindset works on, I, I think. So it's, it's really interesting that you say that. I guess the people that are around us, for me too, in, in my case, it's also a little bit more inspiring than pursuing or like seeing someone that I can't, uh, that I don't know. Like, I think it's just a different connection and a different way to vibe with people. So that's, that's really cool. Well, just to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. We were so excited to invite you. We we're so excited to be here after graduation and being in campus again. It's just, it just feels different. So thank you so much. Thank you for your invitation and congratulations again for a great year. It was good to, really good to have you in the program. So no, enjoyed it a lot. I, I hope you can celebrate and enjoy your summer and uh, make us really proud for the next step in your career. <laughs> With no pressure, but we'll no make pressure. you proud. <laughs> just full support and love no thank you so much well thank you guys for tuning into the episode and the podcast for the past two seasons it's a nice wrap up of our journey here at berkeley your journey together on this podcast and we really appreciate you always tuning in and sending your support so till the next time yeah thank you so much see you bye